Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulebi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 15 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello, folks out there. Once again, it's time for Usha to Levy podcast. And guess what? My guest today actually needs no introduction. He's a true legend of the sport. He is the one who's done probably more than anyone else for this sport. He has so many victories. He's a, a true legend. Uh, the uh, most victories in Visma Ski Classics, uh, except uh, Britta Johansson Ukraine, uh, who has a little bit more than this particular person. And of course, I am talking about Anders Auckland, a man who's getting to be 50 pretty soon and still pushing hard, pushing the envelope, changing the world as we speak. So I'm really happy to have you here, uh, Anders Auckland, and uh, I'm your host, as always, Teemu Virtanen. And without any further ado, let's get to this. Good to have you once again. How are you doing right now, Anders? Oh, thanks. Uh, I, I'm I'm doing fine. It's, uh, no, it's summer. It's... Uh been some break since uh, the end of the winter um, it was a last uh, it, uh, it was a good uh, good uh, end of the season with some nice races in Årefjellsloppe uh, and then uh, some holiday in the mountains and some long uh, one long ski trip and uh, in May and June we have start planning for next season with our new teams and uh, we have already had two training camps so uh, I'm uh, I'm in uh, in training again for uh, what's coming up for the next season, but uh, it's it's not uh, it's not an advantage to getting older in in sports. But uh, I, I I love the sport and uh, I think it's really really cool to be a part of uh, the ski classic and uh, the long distance race also for next year. Well, tell me about it. I know, you know, when you're getting old, you know, it's it's not that easy. But hey, we're still going strong. I ski through Finland, and you did 700k, you know, this spring. Where did you actually get the idea to to go that long? Oh, uh, the idea was, uh, you know, last year when uh, the COVID started, we uh, we lost some of the good races in the end of the season, like the Birkebeiner and all the rest of the season, and then. Then we started uh, do some uh, long ski trips in Nordmarka in uh, Oslo, and it's really nice skiing there. And me and uh, you are Tele did some uh, some nice trips there. And uh, then the idea of getting really long was uh, started, and uh, we did 520 kilometer one uh, in one uh, big. Uh, one day and one night uh, in March uh, last season. So this year uh, I didn't plan anything, but uh, then we saw it was really nice weather. It was uh, maybe the last part of the winter in Nordmarka. And Jürgen called me and uh, are you are you in for a long uh, ski uh, ski session this weekend? And uh, of course I call uh, URTL and one other guy, Sim Nöstensen, who also 
love this uh, type of skiing and we we set off and uh, just started and see how it ended so uh, yeah it was uh, just for the next experience but of course we wanted to do longer than last year but uh, it was most for the experience of it and you skied on a lake correct yeah we skied on a lake because if you want to do uh, so many miles you need fast condition and uh, on a lake is um, the advantage is it uh, no hills you have a flat and you can do some part skating some part double pole but uh, also it's uh, kind of hard because uh, it's no good uh, you, you get tired in your legs to, to stabilize all the time so and we we got a lot of wind so it was not perfect condition but it was it was good enough and it's pretty bo- uh, boring to uh, to be on a lake because it's so flat. I actually sent you a message uh, uh, way back because uh, y- there was qu- quite a lot of discussion about you breaking a record and so. But I, and I checked the Guinness uh, World Record, and according to them, I guess someone has skied uh, 800k in 48 hours. I don't know who, but at least when I checked Guinness, you know that's what what I found out. And I sent you a message that you should go over 800 if in 48 hours if you want to break the record. But maybe you didn't get the message. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, uh, we 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 just wanted to ski longer than uh, we did last year, and uh, I think uh, most of the experience was to to keep quite high speed for a long time and see how the the body reacted. So I I think I was skiing for thirty eight or thirty nine hours, uh, and um, we started six o'clock in the morning one day and we skied the whole day and the whole night and I was finished when it was dark again 10 o'clock or something 8 o'clock 9 o'clock the next day what was your average uh, speed I don't know <laughs> I think it was uh, about 20 kilometers for a long time and uh, in the end it started snowing and then uh, the idea of going one more night was uh, destroyed, so it was impossible to ski through the the snowy conditions. So I then I stopped because uh, the weather changed so much. But um, so the 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 speed uh, went down the last uh, five six hours a lot because of the snow. And you had small uh, breaks uh, to feed yourself, but did you eat anything? more solid or just energy bars and things like that uh, we uh, I think we skied about uh, 30 kilometers uh, it was about three laps and then we sat down for two three four minutes just to refill our uh, drink belts and uh, in the start we ate some uh, easy food uh, uh, energy bars uh, and stuff like that and uh, during the first night we ate some hot meals like uh, noodles or uh, um, that was quite easy but uh, in the end it was just energy drink uh, and gels because uh, it's a problem to get enough food in because uh, I think it's possible to ski much longer if you slow down a lot but uh, we had quite high speed so um, the first 24 hours was uh, uh, I think really high speed because the condition was not perfect so we pushed hard hard the, the, the first 24 hours and that was not a good idea to, 
to ski so long. But uh, and after that, we just put in energy gel and uh, chocolate milk and uh, some energy drinks. So then after afterwards, how long did it take for you to recover? This is a question that I've been asked quite a lot. You know, people are very interested in knowing kind of the recovery time. Um, I felt pretty good the, the, after two, three days. But uh, uh, one thing that stopped you is uh, you, you got inflammation in the fingers and in the elbows. And that hurts in the end of the skiing, but uh, um, you can still go on skiing. But uh, for me, it went, uh, uh, it stopped after a couple of days. But Uartele got some problem with his legs, so he still uh, can't run. So uh, he hurt his legs because of all the stabilization on the water, on the ice there. So I think it's not a good idea to do stuff like that if you want to ski fast. But uh, I think it's. Uh, an interesting experience. It's a good feeling to ski the whole day during a night, and the next day it's uh, it does something with your mind. It's uh, it's um, it's interesting to see how you react and also how you can eat different uh, type of food and what is good, what is not good, and you get tired and um, you have to be uh, <laughs> you have to think positive in your mind because you get really tired in the end, but. Uh, I think uh, the you can do much longer if you if you really want to push it to the limit than uh, if you start in a slower speed. And of course, and if you take uh, longer breaks as well, three, four, five minutes every every hour, uh, every every second hours, and during the night, I think we sat down for at maximum ten minutes, maybe five to ten minutes, but it was just to change. Uh, the drink belt and eat something sometimes yeah indeed it is really interesting you know and i know how it is and how it goes you know i'm still trying to break that uh, you know the world record the guinness world record in 24 hours skiing and hey maybe you and i maybe we should uh, try the 48 hours together since you already almost uh, did it this time so because there is a category in guinness 48 uh, hours so maybe you and me we can we can do it uh, later on but let's Talk about Visma Ski Classics, your career. I mean, it's so much to talk about. Uh, and, uh, of course, we'll start uh, from the last season. That'll be next. So, on this last season, it was actually pretty good for you. I mean, the last race, you, you mentioned uh, the 100K orifice a little bit. You did pretty well. You were right up there, you know, fighting tooth and nail against the the best long-distance skiers. How is it possible that you're still so good and and, and your capacity is still so high? Oh, uh, I felt in the start of the season I was not good enough because uh, I feel that my um, <laughs> my capacity is not good enough when it's uh, hilly tracks and when you need... Uh, you need uh, a VO2, <laughs> and uh, I'm not where I was to be. But uh, I still have the, um, I still have the endurance, and I still have a lot of uh, experience. So in the longer races, uh, like Orefjell, in the end of the season, I I I, I did uh, okay, and uh, I was able to stay with the best group in the final. And of course, I had good skis. You need that in a race like that, but. Uh, uh, 
I think it's uh, a combination of uh, really good experience, uh, a good team, a good teamwork, good skis, and also that I I managed to find a way for uh, a smart training when you're getting older and to, to pick out what type of training that is that is good for me, what I need. Um, but uh, I could have stopped skiing some years ago when I start feeling I was getting a little bit slower, but I think it's really fun to be a part of the team, to build up the team and to to see what type of training is good for a old man in, in my situation. And I see that I can inspire other, uh, other uh, uh, people in the same age. And, uh, you know, in this type of skiing, we have all the... All the other skiers that is not the elite skiers, and they can uh, see it's possible to, uh, to do well, uh, even if you're getting older and uh, you have to, to, to do a little bit different type of training. You indeed are an inspiration. I know so many people over here also uh, looking up on you and, and uh, at our age, getting close to 50 or over 50 and so forth, thinking that, hey, if he can do it, I can push myself as well and still do do well. I know that you've been sort of an advocate for longer distances and Orefes Loppet finally was 100K and a tough one. So are we now going towards the direction that you, you've been wanting for a, for a long time? Yeah, I think Orefes Loppet was a perfect long distance race. Uh, you, have, you have everything. You have the long distance uh, that people get tired. You can get the breakaway and uh, you also get... Uh, going skiing great nature over mountains over lakes so uh, it's uh, it's a fantastic type of uh, long distance skiing and i think it's important for long distance skiing and uh, Wismar Ski classic to separate from the ordinary world cup and uh, and that you do with uh, spectacular courses and uh, longer than 50k so uh, and still it's the the type of race that have the most prestige is the old one is much longer is the Vasaloppe and uh, I think it's important to to keep that in the in the Ski Classic and also we had back-to-back races uh, this season which turned out to be very good uh, experience and uh, this upcoming season uh, will have uh, more of that so meaning you guys need to race on Saturday and and Sunday back back to back. Uh, what's your take on on that on that particular, you know, addition? Good to have more races in the same place because it's uh, for many teams. It's it's uh, expensive to have a full team traveling around in Europe. So uh, if you can gather more races in same area, it, it's it's good. But uh, also you will. I think you will also get, uh, it still will be some skiers that put some races higher than others and maybe don't, uh, are so interesting in the overall. They're interesting in doing well in some races. So I think you will have, it, it's some positive with it and also it's something that is uh, not so good. So, uh, but uh, for, for me, when I am, um, I, I still put some of the races much higher than the other, but when when um, when you have uh, the way ski classic has uh, formed during the years, it's uh, more and more also the teams. It's the it's the the jerseys and it's uh, 
uh, it, it's, it's a big game there going on and uh, that's very important and looking very well on uh, the TV. So I think this, the long distance skiing is building up more and more and I think this is just the start of it. It will get, I think in some years it will take over um, the, the most important thing of cross-country skiing. I think so because uh, uh, that's what skiing are about, long distance and it's uh, you get more drama into it and uh, if you can get international teams big sponsors and good tv it uh, it will be great for the sport yeah and it's a mass mass sport mass start sport you know regular folks can also participate and and be standing on the same you know same start, start line with you guys that's a that's a little bit like we see in running like the marathon races has improved a lot and but become a more uh, important part of running uh, the last 10 years and uh, I think we will see the same in uh, cross-country skiing and now we're getting more uh, high-profile skiers into Wismarsi Classic and um, that's uh, that's very good for the sport and we will also have it this next winter. What do you want to say about these prologue races? they early in the season but they're pretty short but then again we can understand why those those are in the in the schedule yeah it's uh like i said it's uh, for for the, the big game of the the whole tour it's uh to build it up like a good tv product it's it's a good to presentate the skiers to uh, show the teams and uh so you can getting ready for what become later in the season it's it's, it's good to have a prologue early in the winter and then the season will build up so I, I think it's good to, to show the, this on TV early in the season. Yeah, you, You've been around ever since Visma Ski Classics, or way back then Ski Classics, uh, started. You've seen pretty much the whole story, the whole path, the journey from the day one to, uh, to present day. Uh, a question that's been asked quite often, but it's always interesting to hear your, your perspective is that kind of the change and not just the Visma Ski Classics but the long distance skiing because you talked about this becoming even bigger than World Cup skiing but that wasn't the case 10-15 years ago when you guys you and Jürgen when you pretty much uh, decided to put your focus on this like before it was uh, you had some of the the old classic race with high prestige especially Marshlonga and Vasaloppe and you have all the other, we'll call it FIS Marathon Cup. But then it was, uh, when, the Visma, when, the, when the Ski Classic started, it, uh, it was uh, uh, like a new product because then we could work in our own way, uh, separate from, 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 from FIS. And uh, I think to build it up with different um, professional teams and to have the jersey to fight for, it was uh, very good for the sport, and um, uh, I, I, I think it will develop more, uh, even in the year in front of us now. Um, yeah. So it and also a big difference is that uh, it's more, it's like a much more younger skier into the long distance races than it was 15 years ago. Uh, that's that's very good also. So, yeah. So you've been on a podium uh, at least for 
14 times maybe maybe more and you have the the the, the um, the championship title as, as well uh, in Visma Ski Classics and probably so many memories. I know it's it's going to be really hard to pick, pick one particular moment uh, that you cherish the most, but I'm going to ask you anyways. <laughs> it's difficult to pick one moment, but but for me to win Vasaloppe and Marcelonga was, I think very very great memories but uh, also I have very great memories from Yisariska uh, and smaller races that uh, I had good experience and did very well races so uh, it's not an easy question but uh, of course uh, Moshlonga and Vaslop is for me uh, top memories yeah and I think your uh, last victory is the Orifes Lopez correct a few years back yeah, I was fighting with Pudash the Aron in the in the end in the sprint there in the uphill sprint. So, yeah, that was really fun to 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 manage that. Um, yeah, and you just mentioned Vasa Lopet and you won that at two thousand four. And way back then, you actually became the second Norwegian to accomplish. Uh, uh, that feat uh, after uh, Ole Elfsetter, who won in nineteen seventy-one. So. That must have been a great moment, you know, because it was always kind of dominated by by Swedes, and and then finally, uh, your country and you, you know, got the victory. Yeah, it seems to be very very difficult for a Norwegian skier to to do that. Many many good skiers had tried, and uh, back then, I learned everything from Jürgen. I had a lot of experience. He also was close to win behind Oscar Svärd and Daniel Tunnell some years before. So uh, for me that year, uh, I was normally doing World Cup races and uh, on uh, I, I like the long distance, like the 50K in Holmenkollen and so on. So I won Marshallonga in January that year and uh, I very much wanted to do uh, uh, everything for Vasaloppe and uh, Jürgen taught me everything <laughs> about it so I think that was a very interesting period because uh, then we trained very very diff- different from uh, what a World Cup race gear did and when we started our first team uh, extra personnel in 2008 uh, it was so um, exciting with everything because everything was new and we tried to find training methods uh, that no one else did and we we pushed the limits for uh, a lot of things and then the double polling started developing a lot and um, it was an interesting time also with the training and the technique and uh, yeah that made it so fun to go from World Cup race to over to, to long distance races. I want to talk about that a little bit later on, the, the training and, and how, how you, the Auckland method and, and so forth. But going back to this a little bit, uh, 2004, as you mentioned, you were still uh, doing uh, world championships and, and uh, Olympic uh, games and so forth. When did you realize that, or when did you decide that long distance is really your cup of tea? My last season on the national team was 2007. I was in Sapporo in the world championship and during that season, I, I knew that uh, that was my last uh, season in the World Cup uh, circus. And uh, Jürgen and me started together with uh, our friend Nils Marius Otterstad to, to plan 
what to do for the next year and uh, our plan was to try to win uh, Vasalop again and we want to build up a team uh, to to go 100% for all the long distance races back then it was the Fist Marathon Cup and um, and uh, I did that because uh, my um, everything I learned about from Jürgen and uh, also because Vasaloppe and Marshallonga was so good experience for me and uh, it was just one long race in the World Cup it was the 50k in Holmenkollen uh, and I love that race and uh, I wanted to do more long distance races and when I was a small kid I was watching Vasaloppe on television and it was a dream to do to do more that type of skiing and we, we started with that fully from 2008 so now you're definitely known as a as a one of the forefathers you and Jürgen your brother uh, forefathers of, of long distance skiing but as you said you had a career in standard skiing uh, and correct me if I uh, or if I miss something but you participated at the Olympics twice in 2002 and 2006 and you won gold in the relay race and then you finished fourth in the 15 kilometer race in uh, 2002 and the world championships then uh, between 2001 and 2007 four races for you correct four uh, participations at those games and you managed to get three medals two silver one gold uh, six world cup victories 13 podiums and also an interesting fact i'm not sure if a lot of people know this but you actually have uh norwegian championships in in running correct 500 meters 1995 and 10,000 meters in 1996 97 correct you you're a track runner <laughs> uh, I, I did a lot of uh, running when I was younger and uh, for many years I didn't know if I want to be a runner or a cross-country skier but when I was 19 I was picked to a junior national junior team in skiing and then it was more skiing for me so then my progression in running stopped I uh, didn't improve so much from I was 19 but uh, I still competed in running and I... Uh, I think that was good for my for my skiing for capacity and the speed and everything but uh, uh, the running started to getting slower and slower when I was getting away from my background but uh, I love the running uh, and I did a lot of races before yeah and you still use running quite a lot correct you know, as a training method oh uh, not so much anymore I, I did some years ago but uh, I had had an accident five years ago and broke my my leg and uh, after that uh, it's m- not so much running anymore but uh, i think running is is really good capacity training for a cross country skier yes and next we'll talk about your team of course your team has changed names so many times uh, now you guys called a team ratte charge uh, it was team ratte eiendom uh, for, before that and then Team Santander and then many other names as you uh, mentioned earlier. So that'll be next for us. Anders, your team it's definitely been the best team so far except last year was kind of tough for you guys and uh, I know that your goal wasn't really to win the pro team competition. I know now you're back. Now you really want to uh, win that category again. Um, what does it mean that you're a bit of an underdog right now? 
Uh, yeah, we're looking really forward for the season coming up now. Uh, for many, many years, we were we were uh, wanted to be the strongest team. We wanted to win races and we wanted to be the strongest team. And we managed that for most of the years. United Bakeries beat us one year, I remember. But um, last year we got the chance to get uh, Marit Björgen on the on the team, and we thought that was uh, a big thing. And she was maybe the best profile in skiing. And uh, but but she couldn't do so many races. She she just went for uh, Vasaloppe. But uh, she will do more next year. But and and. For us, it was so inspiring, and for our sponsors, and I think also for the sport to to bring Marit back on the track and into this kind of races. So, so, so last year we we had a season we um, we concentrate on getting Marit back, and we concentrate on try to win most of the races uh, we could. But uh, you know, Andreas Nigor got some injuries, and uh, some other skis were much stronger than us. So uh, last year we. We got a lot of uh, uh, beats, but uh, we will fight back uh, this season, and I think we'll have a very strong team for uh, the upcoming season. Yeah. How is it looking right now? You just mentioned uh, mentioned earlier that you guys already finished a couple of your uh, training camps, but based on that, are you guys on the right track? I think so. We have uh, some uh, young, interesting and hungry skiers in our team now. We have uh, Johan Hul and Kasper Stados, two uh, new, really uh, upcoming skiers, um, coming into long distance. They, they, they try in the last part in Åre, but uh, for next season they will go fully 100% for uh, long distance. And uh, we still have uh, Anniken uh, in our team, and uh, she will have... Uh, Marte Melium Johansson, um, young, uh, not so much experience with long distance, but uh, I think we have a, a really good team and uh, to build on. And um, yeah, Petter Eliasson was uh, his last season, uh, big legend, uh, big uh, experienced guy to have in our team the last year, but uh, he have all the plans for the next uh, year, so... Uh, but uh, yeah, we are ready. So, but we, but we, but we know we have uh, a lot of other skiers that is training so good, and um, the comp- the competition will be hard. Speaking of him, Peter Eliasen, it must have been a, a bit of a blow for you guys to, uh, and f- for the sport to lose someone like him. He quit once before, came back, and now this is his second time. He's he's retiring. Uh, it's. It's tough, I guess, for all of us because he's been so great. You know, one of the like you, uh, inspiration. He Petri is a great inspiration. When Petri is in good shape, he's uh, he's a really, really good long distance skier. And uh, the way he uh, won some of his races was uh, too great to see. And uh, to have him in our team the last year was uh, inspiration for everyone. But. Uh, he have a family and he have uh, other things to use his time on and his motivation was not good enough and then it's uh, then it's fine. We have uh, had a great time with him and uh, I think he was uh, satisfied uh, to, to stop now. And um, uh, But for us it has always been important to 
to have uh, a team that is uh, balanced between experienced guy that can win races and also young skier coming in to push to push on the training and to, to be hungry in what to develop and that is a good combination to have to have both in the team i think and then what about andres nigor i mean it was a tough year for him as you as you mentioned but then he bounced back and he won uh, at the end of the season he's still a contender to win he, he is uh one of our strongest guy and most experienced guy and uh, a skier that can uh, win a lot of races if everything is uh, perfect. But uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's so many good skiers around now and uh, that is doing the training so well. And uh, it's also a different type of race. You have some hill race, you have some capacity races, you have also some flatter and more sprinty races. So... Uh, yeah, that's that's the interesting part with long distance. We have different type of races and courses. And then, what do you want to say about your former uh, teammate Turas Riedalen, who then uh, left, uh, joined a new team, and pretty much formed a, a new team, and still going strong even in a smaller team. Uh, he's a legend as well. Absolutely, and for me, Tordasla has been maybe one of my greatest. Um, uh, Skiers that have been uh, has motivated me a lot to 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 be on the team with Torosla for many years uh, was very important for me because he is uh, maybe the skiers that have developed um, a lot during yeah, every every year. He's uh, he was the guy with the long poles. He was the guy with the duathlon shoes. He was the guy with the drink belts. Uh, so he. He pushed the limits every year, and uh, it was uh, it was nice to see him won won Vasalop uh, last year, even if he was uh, uh, not on, on our team, but um, uh, a guy that we wanted to beat. But uh, I think for Dashla, when he had to do it on his own to build up his own team, he got a lot of motivation on that, and uh, to see him win Vasalop was uh, was good. He is truly an innovator. He comes up with all kinds of uh, things and and uh, developments, you know, for the sport. You talked about uh, Marit Björgen, and I did a, a really great uh, podcast uh, with her uh, just before Vasalop. And now we know that she, at that time, she didn't know uh, whether she was going to continue or not. But now we know that she will do at least five races next season. And then we have uh, Martin Jonsrud Sundby also putting his sole focus on long distance skiing he's on, he has his own team i mean this is definitely something that is boosting boosting up our our sport absolutely absolutely and both of them are maybe one of the greatest uh, uh, cross country skiers we have in our time and um, to have them uh, going hard into long distance is, uh, is very important for the sport and one thing with the, the uh, World Cup race especially here in Norway it's, uh, it's uh, so limited uh, who can be on the Olympic team who can be on the World Cup team and and that is uh, more and more waking up and see that uh, long distance is open here you can uh, you, you, you know in the summer what type of race you 
you can prepare for and uh, that's more fair I think so uh, and also you are not you are not uh, able you are not um, it's not the color of your team that decide if you can start or not it's uh, it's up to every skier if you want to do a 100% uh, yeah and both of those skiers uh, Martin and, and, and Marit of course we know uh, their capacity we know how capable they are uh, Marit yeah, did so well at Basel but right behind Alina and also Martin uh, won Birkebeiner and it had a tough fight against uh, Peter Elias in uh, 2015 uh, but then he came back and won the race but realistically speaking thinking about the whole season uh, how well do you think both of those skiers can do against you guys. Yeah, I think both of them can uh, can win races, and that's that's the most important thing. And Marit is not going for the overall; she wants to win the most important races, and she's capable. If ever, she's she is not she she don't train like before. She uh, it's uh, it's less training than before, <laughs> but uh, she is so good. And uh, she showed us last year what she can do with uh, not so much training. And uh, when she's coming back for uh, the season coming up now, I think she's able to um, to win races if everything is going well for her. And also Martin is uh, he's not going into long distance to for fun. He's going into long distance to try to win races. And I think he's capable, but uh, he will uh, he will meet other skiers that is experienced with that type of race and uh, it's it's different from uh, from a world cup but um, martin is maybe one of the world cup skiers with the best capacity in double pulling so he he will be uh, one of the favorite in uh, many of the races next season uh, indeed, that'll be really interesting to see how well those two can do uh, you and Jürgen, uh, your brother you, you guys started this this team way back as you said earlier and uh, when you think about your team now you your brother and also you have Magna Dalen in your team so what is the kind of the way you guys work together running the team and uh... when we started up it was uh, just Jürgen and me uh, the first year and then we added more skiers uh, more and more skiers uh, but the last year now Jürgen stopped competing some years ago I still compete and uh, even if I don't uh, have all the focus on the training like I had some years ago it's I have some focus on the sponsors uh, it's a lot of doing a good job so we can uh, be able to have a big team because it's a lot of uh, job to be done there and I also do the training as good as I can uh, to to try to be in good shape for for some of the races uh, this winter. Jürgen is focused on um, uh, like a manager for the team, uh, work with the sponsors and uh, uh, do they satisfied? So they they want to to stay with our team and to build up the team for the future. Magnar Dalen is very, very important for us. He had um, he had been with us for a long time now, and uh, he do everything. He is like a sports director. He is on every training camp, every race. He have full control of everything, and he also do a lot with the training on some of the skiers on the team. 
he have uh, I think he's one of the most experienced guy in cross country skiing overall and uh, he's, he's not just working with the skis he's working with the whole team and with the training and um, they have everything so uh, together Jürgen me and Magna is uh, a good mix of three different roles so we can be able to have a, a strong team so continuing with that uh, topic or theme what really makes a good uh, pro team besides good athletes but what do you need what elements do you need to have a successful and winning pro team in uh, long distance skiing to have a good uh, pro team you need uh, of course a budget that can uh, you can be able to have some good men and women into the whole season and some of the best skiers also and uh, that then you need to uh, to know how the sponsor work is going on you need to work with the sponsors you, you need to see the the commercial part of it that uh, in long distance skiing you, you are the same arena as all the um, public skiers and see the effect that uh, if you can mix that together you can uh, you can work with the sponsors and also you need to be hungry all the time to develop because the, the long distance skiing is has, has developed fast, the double polling has developed fast. So you need to have some experienced athlete that can uh, win races and you need some younger uh, skiers into it that can uh, push the limit and to to make the everything to be sharp on the team. And uh, the last year is uh, also been more focused on the, the women on the team, so you can have into the team competition. And uh, I think the, that's a very uh, that's a good thing. And the uh, the level of the women has improved a lot, and I'm really really impressed of the on, on the best there. And uh, I think uh, I hope more World Cup skiers. From the from the women's side, will get into long distance skiing because uh, it's a big future if you if you want to be a skier there as a woman. I think you guys have achieved so much over the years, and you started way back. And as you said, you guys were pretty much the you know the torchbearers, you know, for long long distance skiing. But and you men- mentioned hunger, so do you still feel that you guys are hungry enough? And uh, can how far can you guys go? <laughs> As a team, I uh, it's very important to have the the a mixed, and I think and know what the, the changes we did with the new guys and uh, Marte and uh, everything. We have a, a really good team that can that can develop for the next years. Uh, for my own sake, it's uh, I of course know that uh, I will not ski faster than I did some years ago. But for me, it's uh, it's I I love the the type of uh, races. I I feel exciting about uh, be a part of the team to see how it works and to also try to exp- um, to to use some of my experience for the younger skiers in the team and to 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 push them. So um, yeah, that that's why I'm st- I'm still on the start line because it's it's more fun to. St- to stand on the start line to, to and then to watch the race. <laughs> well, that's a good segue for our uh, next part of the podcast, which is the training and the Auckland method and kind of your motivation. So let's talk about that next. 
Oakland method. Let's talk about that. And it's a kind of a term that a lot of people know, but then again, we don't always know. And I, uh, when I talked to Jürgen over an article about that, he once said that uh, when Turas Jedalen was in your team, that yeah, when Jedalen does a long roller ski training in four hours, so my brother does it in three hours. So is that kind of the way that you always do everything a little bit faster and more intensively? <laughs> I, I think I'm. Uh, I, I like uh, quality and intense uh, training. And uh, some years ago, I think it was must have been thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I, I think I pushed the limits maybe too hard. I did really, really hard training and uh, experienced that uh, it's more than the limit, <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, that's that's the cool thing about training. You don't really know what is the best, but you you need to to develop. And uh, the Oakland method was just a name of a blog that I started in some years ago to 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 try to to share some of my ideas about training. And that was uh, training when you are older. What what can you do to uh, to, to uh, try to get good results if you want to do good results in some long distance race for like uh, public skiers, motioner people that uh, have an ordinary job. They can train maybe three, four, five times a week. What can you do? Uh, and that was the idea about it to, to try to share some ideas. And um, I think when you uh, train less and you don't are when you're not a 100% professional, like I was 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago, then you have to pick the best type of training and you have to do not so much training. Let's elaborate. Yeah, let's elaborate on that a little bit, uh, uh, particularly from that perspective. If you are, or the listeners out there are probably interested in knowing, what should they do? I mean, if they are active uh, skiers, but not uh, elite or professionals like uh, you guys, and uh, but they still want to do well in Visma ski classic races or any other long distance races. What are the kind of the key elements, your key teachings? The key elements is people like that. They are interested in training, and all a lot of them they do they do cross country skiing, they do running, they do cycling, and they also compete in different type of sport because they they love the sport. They love to be in good shape. But if you want a good result. In cycling or in skiing or in running, you have to focus and to be very specific in what you do. And most of your training have to be in what you want to be good in, and also in the speed that you want to have. So uh, that is the most important thing: is to train more, like you want to compete. But for most of that type of people, they they are not only interesting in the result, they are also interesting in having fun and be in a good shape. So you have to decide what is your goal, really. Uh, if your goal is to be in a good shape and uh, and uh, take part of uh, a lot of uh, competition, then you can do whatever you want and just train. But uh, but if you want to be a good doberpoler in Marshallonga or Vasloppe, then you have to be out on the roller ski, you have to using the ski erg, you have to be do some other races and uh, do a special training for that part of uh, training. And uh, if you don't have time for so many hours, uh, like in a week, I will say 
you have to be have very high quality. You have to be often in your uh, competition speed, uh, and maybe have only one day a week when you do long and slow uh, training. So um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the most important thing I have to to say, and that's in a way like I built my own training now because I'm training almost half of the training I did uh, 10 years ago because I had three kids and do a lot of work besides so I, I don't train so much but I train more specific and higher quality. What is half right now? Half of 1000 or half of 1500? In other words, how many hours do you do you train? I uh, ex- uh, I really don't count anymore. I just train. And uh, I, I write I write down what I do so I can compare some uh, some uh, what uh, levels and speed on my um, test result. But uh, I think I was training when I was as best, and I, I won Olympic or uh, World Cup races. I trained eight hundred fifty hours, nine hundred. Now I think I'm on five hundred or something, five six hundred. But your training is pretty much very intensive all the time, as you said. It's you said. Uh, it's more intense, absolutely. Do you have any easy days or do you just have a day off? Yeah, of course. I do uh, other things than training, and uh, but that's not easy. It's uh, it's more stressful to do work or uh, be around a lot with kids and uh, and f- do things with them than to, to train. The, the training part is easy. <laughs> If if you just train and sleep and eat, it's not so hard. But if you want to to do everything else, it's hard to combine them. And then, of course, you sometimes just go and do really, you know, really extremely long workouts like the seven hundred k. But on average, how often do you do a long, long endurance training? Do you even need to do that so much anymore? I of course I do long session and I, I like the long roller ski and long ski session and uh, I I try to have one in a week that is really long uh, but uh, I put in some um, I put in some uh, week that I have a lot of training that's important for me when I want to be in good shape so in the end of the the autumn and in the start of the season in uh, like in the Christmas part. I do a lot of uh, uh, volume in the training, and uh, but um, and that's important to have a different type of weeks. So uh, now the most important thing for me is the speed and the quality. But I still put in easy and long session, but in a, um, different type, uh, some weeks and some easy days. So how long is your typical long session? No, it's a little bit longer than a race, like uh, typical three, four hours. I think uh, a lot of skiers do too much long sessions, but uh, the most races are uh, two, three hours. So I think the problem for most skiers are the capacity and the VO2, not uh, endurance. But for me, the endurance is not so the problem. <laughs> I... Uh, for me, the long the long session is easy. The, the, my problem is to be in a really high speed for three, four, five minutes in uphill. And for that, I need to do more intervals in that speed. And then what about strength training? I know that you guys uh, have done quite a lot, you know, at a gym, you know, have you 
videos and things like that available for people to check out? It's, uh, strength training is important for cross-country skier, but it's not the most important thing, but uh, you have to have it. And when you do it, I think it's really important to do it right and to put it in together with all the other training and also to uh, uh, to have the, co- the the continuity of it. If you start with the strength training the whole summer and stop in the winter, it's no use. You have to, to, to do it the whole year. And uh, the strength training is more important when you are getting older. For me, it's important. But for... Uh, a younger skier, I think it's more important to build up volume and capacity. So when I talk about training now, it's uh, not one thing that is right and not things that's not right because it's um, it's different what type of training uh, depends on where you are in your career and in your age. So uh, when I was 25, I was doing a lot of volume. I was doing a lot of good capacity training. Uh, now I'm more focused uh, in uh, less training higher quality, more strength training. And when you talk about uh, strength training, I assume you mean pretty much the core and also the max, your maximum strength. Yeah, I do both. I do both. Uh, but when you double pull, most of your training, it's a lot of core training just in do the double pulling. So, uh, so uh, I put in some max strength training in there as well. I do that. Let's talk about double polling. Uh, you mentioned earlier that when you guys started out, uh, it was way different. And uh, Jürgen in particular was a big name in terms of kind of making it, making it known or bringing it forth, uh, the technique. But how much... Has that really now changed? You mentioned earlier that it keeps changing, and it's it's very very different from from that era when you guys started out. Yeah, that's that's why the sport is so fun because of the develop. Because we can think now that what we do now is the perfect thing, and now we know everything. But in ten years, we will look back now and how oh, that was poor. <laughs> we should know that no, <laughs> but that's. Uh, it will always be like that because it's always a development uh, and the, the technique is uh, everything uh, change uh, every year actually so um, uh, I think it's important to to, to, to know that uh, what you do now is not always perfect you have to be curious and you have to be uh, look at the younger skiers what they do and to try to find out uh, how we can do it better. <laughs> uh, and before the double polling was like, can you do that? Can can is it possible to double pull um, Birke Bain race? Is it possible to do that? But now everything is is easy. Um, and for some years it was a big discussion: is double pull really our skiing? Is that the right way of skiing? Uh, so. <laughs> So it, this type of discussion has uh, changed for uh, every year, I, I, I can feel. But there are still people that are not that thrilled about, you know, the technique. Uh, but what do you want to say to those naysayers uh, about double polling? Some people are concerned that diagonal striding or classic skiing will disappear. I, I think when I, when I see diagonal skiing now, I, I think it's strange uh, because uh, in diagonal and 
you know, if, when you go um, double pole with one kick, it's an old-fashioned technique, but diagonal in a in a steep hill is nice to see, but uh, when you see Johannes Hustle Crab and they 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 climb uh, like we say like we saw in the World Championship in uh, Oberstdorf, it's it's nice. But uh, when you go back and see a ten years old uh, diagonal, it don't look so good because it's it's nicer to ski people do it fast and double pole is a fast technique so but before I, I love diagonal I still do it but uh, I think what is nice is to ski is, is to see people ski fast <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah uh, it, it depends on the track when you have a World Cup course it's uh, so steep that it's faster to do diagonal when you see diagonal in Valslop it's not so nice because it's slow that is that is a fact but speaking of the techniques how much do you still do skating diagonal striding in your training in my training i do almost uh, just double pulling um i do some skating when i up in the mountains and i do skating in the spring but uh ev everything else i do just double pulling um I should, if if I had time to do some more training, I would do some more diagonal training for the capacity. But uh, when I do less training, I, I focus on the double pole uh, training more. So you've told us that you now are not training that much anymore, but you're still performing at a really high level. And a lot of people always wonder that, uh, how come that you can still be that motivated and, and keep going? Well, what is your answer? I, I um, the answer is that uh, I get thrilled by the um, uh, the excitement in the competition. I, I love to be on the start line in those big races that uh, are the 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 Ski Classic. To stand on the start line in Vaslop and Marshallonga, I get really really nervous, and I love the feeling. So that uh, that that's really why I love the competition, and I have in a way accepted that I'm not good enough to win races anymore. Before when I was on the start line I had I want to be on the podium, I want to, to win the race, but I, I now know that maybe I can be top ten, maybe I can do a work for Andreas, maybe I can give him a poll or anything. But to be on the start line, to be well prepared, to, to feel the excitement, that is uh, my motivation and to be to be a part of a good team and to see the other in the team be able to win races. So when you got the new sponsor after Team Santander, I know that you, part of the deal was that you uh, were going to continue at least for three years. But now it's looking like you will never retire. <laughs> I will see. I, I will be on the start line for uh, at least half the races uh, this winter and maybe more. Uh, and we're taking from that. Take it. I will take it from that. But uh, uh, it's not fun to be on the start line if you're uh, gone in the the first kilometers. But uh, when I feel I can still be a part of the race, I will. I will try to be there at least one year. <laughs> so we'll see then. When you say part of the race, you mean uh... feel that I can uh, fight for a uh, in the in in the in the big group or in the. Um, in the end of the race and uh, not 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 lose the group from the start. Yeah, because we have to accept the fact that we are getting older, and uh, you know the 
physiological, you know, fact is that, you know, once you get older, you're not going to be as, as fast and as strong as the, the young skiers. So you kind of have to adjust to that, of course. So that's what I'm kind of after, you know, how do you adjust it? You know, as you said, you don't want to win anymore, but it kind of comes down every year a little bit. Yeah. Uh, of course I, I, I can feel that, but, uh, for me, the most important thing was in the mind that to accept that, uh, I'm slower, uh, I'm not so good, but uh, it's still fun. It's still excited. I still uh, I still get nervous in, in at least some races. <laughs> so that, that's why I do it. And uh, to be a part of the team and to try to to help others in the team to, to get a good, really, really good result. And uh, we, we want to win races. I, I want the team to, to, to win. That's, uh, that's why we're there. Uh, but in the training, it uh, I have to do it different than before, of course. Indeed, and you are, as I have said so many times, and not just me, but so many other people, you are an inspiration. But next, let's talk about a little bit you, your life. Let's leave the skiing uh, behind a bit and talk about you as a person. That'll be next. I want to start this last part of the podcast by talking about your Greenland expedition. It's a little bit of skiing because you guys were on skis, uh, but that kind of goes to show us the personality that you have and your brother Jürgen as well. You guys decided to just ski across uh, Greenland. That was 2018. Tell me about that experience. It wasn't the easiest one. No, it was really hard and a big adventure because... To ski across Greenland has, uh, for many, many years, been like a dream because, uh, you know, Fritjof Nansen, maybe the godfather of uh, cross-country skiing, is uh, is a guy you have heard about for uh, for always. <laughs> and uh, and um, I read this book when I was a little kid and uh, to be up in the north area and to, to ski across Greenland, that was uh, like an adventure, I, I didn't know that I had to do it, but uh, I get uh, Jürgen and me get the possibility to do it because some friend of us wanted to to ski over there and to try to to do it really fast, set a record, and uh, we got into it and uh, we said yes, of course we are we are in, and uh, that was a new experience to to manage how to to pack everything very light how to be on an expedition, how to be in like a little bit danger area about the cold, about uh, how the weather uh, could, could develop. And um, so uh, it was really, really excited and really hard because uh, we get stuck on the top of Greenland there with uh, really, really cold, icy weather and snow. So we could move for almost... 30 35 hours and um, and that was a new experience for us so we get really hungry and really cold but uh, also we learn a lot uh, you learned how your body and mind react when you get cold and uh, a little bit scared and uh, also it was uh, it was uh, yeah, a legendary ski trip so I don't know if I will do it Again, the first year now, but uh, it was really excited. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that uh, moment, uh, you you just said it was scary, 
but it must have been really, you know, you might must have felt really strange out there, you know, when when sitting sitting uh, still for thirty six hours and fearing for your life. I think uh, it, it's not. It was not that scary, but we we, we could really felt. Um, uh, that we have to do everything right because we didn't have so much clothes. We were uh, actually Jürgen and me was sharing one sleeping bag to kept us warm <laughs> in the end there, and uh, we didn't eat so much because we were skiing so hard the first uh, three four days that then we get um, getting into what you call it. Uh, you started. Uh, you get sick when you when you, when you ate something. Uh, it felt very strange. You, we had we had some food, but we, it was hard to eat it. Um, so uh, it was <laughs> it was a strange 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 feeling. Uh, and uh, when we were finished, we um, we felt that we had uh, done something uh, different from uh, like Vasselope. <laughs> it was uh, something new. So uh yeah. I know that it got so bad that you guys started to hallucinate. Yeah, we didn't uh we didn't sleep so much because we were skiing every hours about and we didn't eat so much and we didn't uh, rest and we were cold. So when we were skiing after three or four days we uh started to see some figures in the snow and it was strange. But uh, I think it was most because of the the soulless uh, sleeping time, I think so. But uh, it was a really, really slow condition because it's uh, it's not more than six hundred kilometers, but uh, it was like moving in uh, uh, sand. That was it was very, 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 very slow. But uh, if you get good weather and good condition, you can do it fast, much faster. But uh, uh, it was uh, hard conditions. And you didn't break the record because of the uh, the conditions. The record is still there, so uh, of course, uh, if we got time and inspiration, we can maybe come back some days. So, uh, what does that then show about your personality? I mean, you're persistent. Uh, you like challenges. You never give up. Or how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I think that uh, can be some words. Uh, also that I uh, I uh, I'm very fond of uh, development and competition in skiing I think it's uh, I love the excitement I love the the thrill and the nervousity um, and I, I I really feel that I do some of the thing I started with when I was 10 years old I, I I like it to do sport when I was a kid and I still feel that I'm playing with the same thing that I then I started with then and uh, I'm really happy that I can uh, um, that I can find the, the the good thing about the sport for so many years and I um, I uh, of course I have I think it's hard to do all the training I don't love getting up in the morning and do every training session but uh, I, I like being part of the the training culture and I like being part of the developing culture in the sport and I like be at the competitions 
So would you say that you are positively childlike still? <laughs> I think some part of me uh, are that because uh, in sport you are, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of playing. It is. Yeah. And then family. That's always important. There's always always something that I ask uh, my guests about the family. Family meaning, of course, your family, Jürgen, and your your own family. The meaning of that and kind of the support you you get from there because you're never alone. No, of course, that has been very important. And uh, when we were young, we are three brothers. Uh, we had the parents that was they were very. Uh, taking with us on uh, trips in the mountains, in the kayak, in the ski races. Uh, so we were we were traveling around and do things like that all the time. And uh, we all three started competing. And uh, Frederick, the youngest, he stopped competing and get started to be a trainer and uh, a coach. And uh, Jürgen and me have had a lot of time together uh, fun and a uh, lot of training a lot of traveling so um, for me it's uh, been uh, maybe the most uh, the, the most important uh, motivation has been the, the interesting and the support from the from the family are there any happy incidents that you recall from your childhood you and you again a lot of uh, Good memories uh, back here in Tunsberg, where we both live here now, and we have uh, a lot of memories from a hard training session from when we were uh, kids, and we still do some of them. So, so uh, like you said, it's uh, childish. It's it's about I, I I kind of do some of the thing I love do when I was younger. I still uh, do some of it, but maybe in a different way. I have. I have another uh, soul sign of it now because uh, before I just wanted to be as good as possible. I just wanted to be the best in the world. I would just want to train hard, hard, and um, was very serious. But uh, now when I'm older, I look back and see all the fun I have had and enjoy. Uh, if I can be in a race or two or three more, so now I just uh, enjoy it. So, what are the things that bring you joy if we leave skiing? Yeah, other than skiing. Yeah, besides skiing. I like to be in the ocean. Uh, here in the Tunspar is uh, nearby the ocean. I like to be out in the water to do surf ski or a kayaking. I like to be in the nature, uh, especially nearby the water here. That's uh, that's uh, something I want to do more of when I am uh, stop compete skiing. Do you have any other hobbies like cooking, watching movies, listening to music, making music, singing? It's uh, nice to be traveling. It's nice to be with the kids. It's nice to uh, do activity, that uh, sporty activity, but not uh, not skiing, besides skiing. And uh, uh, nowadays I'm uh, a lot around the bicycle races with my son, Oliver. He's 17. So uh, he's coming more and more into the sport in cycling, so uh, road bike. So uh, I spend more time with him with him than on my own training. But uh, 
offline back in the car and support him. <laughs> so when you look back your long career, your long life and your career still uh, continuing, what is kind of the thing that you cherish the most? What is the kind of the life lesson you learned? I think it's uh, it's a lot of uh, good memories, but uh, I mean, uh, what I remember most is all the the good persons I have been friends with, all the the relationships during this period, and all the memories together with them. Because as a sportman, or in a, when you do competition, you spend a lot of your time together with uh, good friends that you're coming very close to because um, this mo- the moment when you win something or you lose something and when you have uh, good times or uh, bad times it's uh, you you do it together with someone and uh, I think what I've learned and what I uh, experienced together with different friends has been maybe what I I'm sitting back with no and what I'm thinking most of no when I look back on it. Yeah. Is there anything you want to achieve? Is there anything left? Another adventure waiting around the corner? It's always a new adventure. So uh, <laughs> I don't know really what it will be, but uh, I, I think I will not sit down and uh, stop training and stop moving and uh, I, I think I will uh, uh, use some of my experience and uh, and um, uh, to, to do something exciting that I can uh, but I don't know what it is yet well we'll see <laughs> speaking of exciting adventures maybe we should go and Roller ski around another country. I did Finland this this summer, so maybe next summer you and I, we can go and who knows, maybe America, Australia, China, one of those countries. Adventure of weights. Be a big adventure. So uh, I think uh, to go long ski and roller ski is something that suits me really well. <laughs> and that's a good promotion for uh, for our sport. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So as a last question, uh, what are you going to do when you turn 50? Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, one, it's, it's one more season before I do that. So uh, I think it will be maybe not so much ski racing on me, but uh, I think I will uh, still be uh, a lot of training, but maybe in a different way. So we'll you see. you will be around. You will be racing. You will be at Barcelona trying to be the the best 50 year old ever. Correct. I will see that but, uh, before before I have to do one more season and uh, in the team and see see what I can do. But uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Anders. It's been a pleasure as always, and uh, good luck with uh, your season, your training, with your family, your brother, everything. And uh, see you around. See you around. Thank you very much. And you guys out there, thank you very much for joining us once again. And remember, Le Usha to Levy podcast will continue. So stay tuned for more episodes. For now, bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.